This is Adrian Paul from Highlander, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow, or almost tomorrow. Thinking about tomorrow, all about tomorrow. Tomorrow never dies. <laughs> uh, what other movies have the word tomorrow in it? Too many to name. Here on the Dead TV Podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And that was Fleetwood Max. Don't Stop. Today we are covering War of the Worlds, Season 2, once again, Episodes 13 and 14? Yeah, 13 and 14. Mm. But before we get to that... Mr. Zeneca, why was the Dead TV podcast delayed? What major important event affected your life? Oh, my God. Uh, it was the Joe Bob Jamboree at my favorite drive-in, the Mahoning Drive-In in Pennsylvania. And I, and along with the rest of my family, did a cannibal concession stand. Well, I, we sold jerky and Joe Bob spicy balls, which we sold out of those all three days. We basically dressed as cannibals and mutants. The, the description that I was given, because it's supposed to be a set piece first and a jerky stand second, is cross the hills have eyes with drive-in culture. Mm. So my brother-in-law had two heads with the 3D glasses on, and we were just playing these crazy, you know, hills have eyes characters as we're selling spice rubs and jerky and pasta salad and chocolates and stuff like that that have little, you know, chocolate bones and whatnot. So it was super fun, but it was a very, very long weekend. It was four days total, and the prep to go into it was intense. We only had about a month to prepare our entire booth. We had a 10 by 20 right in front of the actual uh, drive-in concession stand. We entertained the crowds with our antics, you know, me being granny gotcha, because that's usually the last thing to hear. Uh, it was fun. I had uh, red paint all over my hands, had two cleavers and chopping body parts all weekend, you know, and, and playing up to the crowd. It was amazing. It was great, but it was a lot of work, and it was super, super draining. So I am just barely, and it's like a week after the event, I am just barely getting back to normalcy. So me getting back to this podcast is me getting back to normalcy. It was a great event. It was huge. We had over like 3,000 people at this event over the four days. A lot of things happened. Uh, monsoon came in and totally wrecked a lot of the vendors' booths. Our entire camping gear was completely soaked. It was sometimes a nightmare. If you look at the shutter footage of the event, which will be on whenever the Joe Bob's The Last Drive-In Show premieres, I'm not sure when they're going to show that episode, but it was taped live on Saturday. When you see that event, I'm sure that they will play some of the footage, the B-roll taken, in which me and my partner Jason are sitting in the kiddie pool that I had set up as tomorrow's lunch special with the skeleton, and we're just sitting in there kind of defeated because we're already soaked to the bone after this monsoon torrential downpour, 
trying to weather this wind and the rain, and we were just defeated. You know, things were destroyed. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. So I am just now recovering from it. So I'm sorry, people, that these podcasts are late, you know, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> did you get to meet Joe, Bob, and Darcy? Did they come over and thank you? I did not actually meet What? Them. No. <laughs> I, I have to say that timings on the, the autograph lines, the photography lines, et cetera, et cetera, was so off in that Joe Bob actually takes a long time per person to get through and chit-chat and really have a human experience with them that there was just no time. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law and little niece, they're super Joe Bob fans. We pushed them to get all of the things. I manned the booth, so I didn't get any chance to meet Joe Bob and Darcy. But if you're on Twitter and you know about the Joe Bob mutant fam community, please, please send Joe Bob and Darcy a message because the Mutant Mom menu, which is my sister-in-law, was in full force. We entertained all the crowds, handed out waters and everything, and she definitely deserves a Silver Bolo Award. If you're familiar with those, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, don't worry about it. <laughs> she deserves a Silver Bolo Award, and so if you could send a message on Twitter, that would be great for the Mutant Mom menu. I'm uh, That sucks that you didn't get to meet him. I met uh, Joe Bob in 2016. He did not have a huge line. I mean, he had, like, sporadic people, but I think 2016, he had just come back with the first Drive-In Horror Show, the last Drive-In, excuse me, returned on Shudder. Just happened. So his popularity had not quite blown up as much as it has, and he didn't have Darcy with it, the former adult film star Diana Prince. The year Joe Bob came on, she came on as well. They came on months apart from each other, but little did I know they were going to become partners in this this whole thing. Everyone was just so happy and pleased that they were able to meet and have these experiences. Darcy actually got a little sick while she was there, so yeah, she wasn't she as active as Joe Bob. But it was a great event. I just didn't get the opportunity that you did. <laughs> yeah, I met him at, a, again, so it was called Scaricon. I bought a book from his table, and he signed it, took a photograph, and then later that night at the after party, I actually got to have drinks with him. Oh yeah, that yeah. was like I, awesome. It was really yeah, that's, like, a lot the of fun. Fan experience. Yeah, and there wasn't like crowds of people trying to get to him either. It was just like it was just like me and him. You know what I mean? There wasn't everyone bugging him every five seconds. Today, mm-hmm. oh, forget about it. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he could probably still go to the local Cracker Barrel, like he because he's a huge fan of Cracker Barrel. You know, redneck food. That's that's his thing. That's the whole that's his whole shtick. Redneck. Yeah. yeah. So, and Cracker Barrel is probably one of the most redneck chains around in the country. I mean, their their basis is like in the South anyway, right? I think so. I've never actually been to one. Okay. But he is a big advocate of it. You always constantly see pictures of him eating at Cracker Barrel. Oh, he's very happy. But I heard, again, unless you're people like us, you're not going to know who he is. So he can go to Cracker Barrel and not have to worry about being mobbed by horror fans. Okay. Yeah. So, because nobody at Cracker Barrel knows who he is other than the local Cracker Barrel he goes to. You know what I mean? You either love Joe Bob or you don't know who he is. I haven't watched this past season because I don't have Shudder. I, I want to get Shudder for a week just to watch. I don't know if I'll watch all the movies or I'll have time to I'll watch all the movies, but I'll definitely, like, watch his segments and then fast-forward through the movie, you know? <laughs> it's just a matter of, like, what I don't have time for, and I don't have time to watch an entire season of uh, movies hosted by him right now. But I but I want to watch all his bumper segments. I know Darcy's in the process of trying to get, like, all of his old segments, like, converted in HD and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So we will yep. have to see. Like, I mean, she has, like, blown up like crazy. Because she was kind of, like, an unknown porn star for a long time. You really would have to know who she was. But now, like, in the horror circuit, she's, like, insanely popular. Oh, very much so. Very much so. So my partner, Jason, and a few of our friends were done up in monster makeup and zombies and wolfmen and all these types of makeup. And they were scaring people in their cars during the movie. Excellent. It was great. Excellent. That's glad you had a fantastic time. I didn't have any big events. I don't have any big events coming up that I'm going to or doing anything to promote, like specifically Vlada. But uh, we're going to jump right on to the podcast, The Deadliest Disease. Deadliest Disease. Season 2, Episode 13, The Deadliest Disease, originally aired February 12, 1990. A revolutionary med cell is created that could save countless lives. But fearing that the Mothrins would turn it into something deadly, the Blackwood team tries to get their hands on it first. Meanwhile, Malzer desperately tries to acquire it to heal a dying mana, his second-in-command, and also all of the equipment that is also infected. Dun-dun-dun. This episode, it didn't need the Blackwood team at all. No! This no, was... like, they did nothing in it. Oh, my God, that's the exact ending of my entire notes. Like, they do nothing in this episode. Jesus Christ. Uh... I mean, it's, it's an interesting episode. You know, there's a lot of uh, black market politics going on, some racism against Asian people. But the Blackwood team... No, there's no racism against Asian people in this episode. What are you talking about? Oh, I mean, yes, there, are, there certainly is. The, but they, but the Asians are like the power brokers in this episode. They're in charge, right? No? Yeah, they're also called racial ethnic slurs. Yes. Also, I do love that it was set like in some kind of like flea market or something. That was fun. That's the, that's their black market. The the same type of set that they've used for the marketplace, where it's these narrow corridors and these shops that sell whatever. Susan's contact in the government is this Colonel West guy, and it's brought up the government cut us off some time ago. We don't know who you are. It's like the first mention of the government, like since the beginning, since the first episode of the government just cutting them off. Why did the government cut them off? Why did the government just be like, wait, what Blackwood project? Oh, we don't know who they are. Oh, your uncle, right? He set this whole thing up. Yeah, he was written off the show, and nobody cares about him. That's why. <laughs> because, like, all of a sudden, the government just cuts them off and leaves them out there in the wind? No. They're not off the books. They're on the books. <laughs> I don't get it. I, I don't either. Uh, they seem to be able to check out this person's story and and find out that he is Colonel West and the story is good. Right. Except, of course, uh, uh, as well as the fact that, you know, don't get too attached to this guy. <laughs> no, no. He, he dies at the end. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, it's just, we, we set up this government guy or whatever. I thought this was going to be their, like, you know, into, like, the whole, like, why did the government completely cut them off and they're living in, like, sewer rats now? That's That's one thing about this episode I just don't get, is that Colonel West gets the Blackwood team to try to get the med cell, but they don't succeed in getting at the med cell. Aliens give the hyperdrive to Colonel West because they got the med cell, 
But what was the purpose? What was the real purpose in getting the Blackwood team to do anything in this? This entire plot line of the hyperdrive is very funny, as well as, of course, the cloning chamber, you know, not quite working out very well. The term hyperdrive, I don't know how that exists in the real world. I don't know if it does. But most people think of hyperdrive, they think of the uh, device inside any starship in the Star Wars universe that allows them to go to light speed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, specifically, like, the Millennium Falcon, you know, has had problems with it in The Empire Strikes Back. That's the famous plot line of that. The infection that actually is taking over the Mothran biological equipment is pretty interesting, though. Bubonic plague, buboes on their faces and arms. Yeah, it makes the really uh, beautiful weird. Catherine Dresser just, like, fugly. <laughs> yeah, all those buboes on her face. Just <laughs> Gross. Yeah, she, she, she's usually a hottie, especially on uh, Forever Night, which I did find out. Yes, she would leave this show when it ends and go on to become Nick Knight's Girl Friday, secret confidant to his vampire ways on Forever Night, the TV series. So she went from one Canadian show to the other. Yeah. Helps yeah. that she's a Canadian actress, too. Mm. So to give you a little bit of the politics of the marketplace and what's actually going on here is that Tao gained the med cell through an informant and insider that was handling the security at the government lab. And apparently the, this person, which is never revealed, this person was able to get the med cell, give it to Tao, who then was going to auction it off to the highest bidder. And that money was going to fund his taking over of the marketplace in like a wider share. Because currently he shares the power and control of the marketplace between two other people, you know, a black guy and an Arab guy, and then he's an Asian guy. So they control their own little things, and they split everything in thirds. If this auction goes through and he had the financial backing to kind of take over the whole marketplace, he would have gotten the larger share of the black market deals. As soon as it is actually found out that this is happening, the other two people are rightly upset and starts to go on an all-out war. Tao is the head guy. Okay. That guy is still working today. Aki Aliog. I mispronounced that. Man, he looks like he is in some garbage coming up soon. Poor guy. Alien Zombie Cell, The Assassins Unleashed, My Redneck Neighbor, The Leather Man, Return of the Prince of Light. Ugh, these do not sound like great films. <laughs> Once upon a time, he was in Dragon the Bruce Lee story, which was a pretty okay film, and he was on V. There's one that came out or is coming out this year called Ass Clowns, oh, colon, God. Constipated. Oh, I guess they just <laughs> I need an Asian you... man to do Asian things, right? <laughs> oh, the, it just sounds terrible. Yeah, it's like they keep costing who played Lo Pan in the uh, Big Trouble in Little China. But you see that actor in so many things when they need an old Chinese man to exhibit Chinese dialogue. Yeah. His nephew in this, Dennis Akiyama, died in 2018, unfortunately. He played Chin. Chin is... That's the guy who plays his nephew, right? Or his son? No, his son is played by Jun Kim. Okay, then who's Chin? One of the other henchmen. Oh, okay. That yeah. actor has done had done tons and tons and tons of stuff as well. He was the voice of Kang. No, I'm sorry. He's the voice of some character in an episode that has Kang in it in Avengers United They Stand. He was the Watcher, the voice of the Watcher, Silver Surfer, the animated series. The Watcher mm. is going to be the host of the upcoming What If show. Okay. And he was the voice of the Silver Samurai on an episode of X-Men, the animated series. Longtime enemy of Wolverine. 
who we saw in The Wolverine, if you remember he fought, you know, Wolverine fights a giant robot. Yeah, yeah. He was also in the uh, episode Tattoo. He was he was uh, High Quan. I don't remember which character that was, but that was an episode I remember with tattoos killing people. Oh, yeah, Tattoo in Friday the 13th, the series. Yes. The son, uh, Jun Kim, he was actually in Kung Pao Enter the Fist as henchman number two. He was also in Fight Club, also Alien Nation, and Dragnet. A bit parts in these in these shows. Kung Pao Enter the Fist is his last credit, 2002. So there is a security team that works the marketplace, and that's called Brock Security. And it's headed by someone named Brock, you know, not surprisingly. And that security member is taken by the aliens and cloned. But the cloning device is faulty. It's infected. So this clone has more autonomy, more independence to do what it wants. Eventually in the episode, not only do we see this clone Brock uh, beating and abusing his son, just like Tao beats and abuses his son, but we also see this uh, clone taking his original form out of the cloning device and protecting him. So it's, it's kind of a, a curiosity why the clone would do that, but I guess that's how their technology f- becomes faulty. They just stop following the Mothran. The med cell is contained in this vial that is blue liquid. Mm. And for the auction, Tao injects a rat with tumors what appears to be in an instant, the tumors dissipate, and, and, and it's now just a regular rat, and it impresses everyone, and they put in bids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I do like really the, uh, impressive. I like the meeting of the crime bosses, the Arabs, the blacks, the Chinese, the Italians. Yeah. And by the way, every time someone got shot, because there's like a giant shootout in this, nobody actually gets shot. You see somebody get shot point blank wearing white, there isn't one bullet hole on them whatsoever. Yeah. No squibs or anything like that. They're just being thrown backwards through, like, wire work or something. It's eh, it's not great when I saw everyone get shot. But I thought it was very funny that, again, the, um, the blacks, the Arabs, the Chinese, the Asi- the Italians, they all come together. <laughs> very stereotyped. Oh, I mean, my this God. Is... It was hilarious seeing black gang leader. Who I don't even know who he is or if he even had a name, whatever. He's very, like, you know, traditional, like, African clothes when most you know gangsters of various races like in the dark night they all wear just business suits yeah <laughs> do you remember the scene where the joker infiltrates the gang's little meeting and they're like the chinese are there you see you know you see some what looks like arabs there you see what looks like or you know, maybe not be the chinese maybe it's the yakuza you also see you know a couple black leaders you see a couple of italian very you know the uh, original crime lords of gotham and they're all wearing just business suits. They're not wearing business suits based on the color of their country. This isn't the United Nations. <laughs> uh, agreed. And don't know who that actor was because there's no pictures for those characters, so I don't no. really know. Yeah, they don't list any of the gang leaders as, like, black gang leader, Arab gang leader, Italian gang leader. They don't, they, they, the IMDb credits cut off at Matt Berman playing the thief. Who I don't even remember who that character was. I, I think it was a guy in the very beginning that the Brock security people threw out of the marketplace. Oh, well, he's a big-time stunt actor, continuing to work today. He worked on The Expanse, which just ended in 2021. I didn't realize that show went on that long. Taken, Frontier, the X-Men movies, American Psycho, Warehouse 13, tons of stuff. Yeah. Starts as a bit part actor, gets become a stuntman in big TV shows that go on for, you know, six seasons. 
Hey, that's still an upward movement in your career. It's very dangerous stuff, whatever, to always be stunt acting. You know what I mean? You, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of being... I don't want to say it's as like being a police officer, because a police officer is performing a duty to the service of the community you know, that they are protecting, mm-hmm. and the chances of them pulling someone over and pulling a gun on them and shooting them or whatever are very high. But it's almost like that in the fact that you're putting your life on the line for a job that could get you killed, potentially. An accident could happen. You know, pizza pizza delivery guys actually have a higher instance of getting shot while in their cars or, or delivering pizza than cops do. Really? Because so they're very cash? Delivering pizza is probably more dangerous. Even today, where most people are just paying with apps? Basically, delivering pizzas is way more dangerous than the instances of a cop pulling someone over and they have a gun and shooting the cop. Huh. Wow. Everybody dies in this episode. The sons die of the of Jerry, the clone. The clone dies, and the Chinaman's old uh, son dies. And just it's like, again, you're right. Uh, Kincaid and Harrison do nothing in this episode. It, Debbie's not in this episode. Susan, what makes like a cameo? Before they go to that nightclub at the very start. Oh yeah, and then she's like pretty much not in the rest of the episode. Wow, just a lot of double crossing and a lot of unhappy uh, unhappy endings for everybody. I, I I was startled to come to the end of the episode and then realize since Colonel West had betrayed them in some way, like, what was the purpose for all of that? There's there's no other purpose other than we witness a power struggle in the marketplace and the Blackwood team is just our in as the audience member to see what's going on in these internal politics. That oh. seems to be it because the aliens got their cell. They were able to heal everything. Definitely. So they win. Yep. Again, they win. Ooh, just recently found out one of my favorite horror movies is getting a comic book series. Nice. Which one? Tom Holland's Fright Night. Issue number one comes out this November from American Mythology Productions. They're basically just printing like horror comics. Hmm. They they have like a zombie comic. They have a Dracula comic. They have a werewolf comic. They have like a sexy Frankenstein comic. They have the Hatchet comic based on the Hatchet horror movies. And now they're going to be doing Fright Night. Interesting. Uh, you know... You you bring up uh, Frankenstein. I actually recently read that book. Do not recommend. I really don't recommend that book at all. Yeah, it doesn't hold up very well for 2021. Nothing like the story of Frankenstein that we all have come to know. Hmm. Frankenstein's monster is actually very eloquent. Gotcha. I read that full book. I'm like, uh, this is terrible. Rewritten versions of it are, I think, much better. But uh, this Fright Night comic book I am seriously looking forward to. I don't... I'm trying to see what the plot is going to be. This uh, comic book picks up immediately after the events of the first movie. This is supposed to have been like they're like, oh, yeah, so Evil Ed still being alive, yeah, and stuff like that. Let's let's get into that for Fright Night Part 2. So I'm excited for this because I'm a huge fan of Fright Night. So I am going to be buying this. All right, cool. Yeah. That's all the notes I have here for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast. We'll take a quick break and come back after Mr. Seneca's focus area and a word from a sponsor with the next exciting episode. Path of Lies. Path of Lies here on the Dead TV Podcast. Dorgan Ramen is a restaurant in Ashland, Massachusetts. Serves traditional and authentic Japanese ramen, Thai noodle soups, and the best chicken wings in Metro West. Everything's done in-house from scratch, and they use only the highest quality products from small farms. Co-chef owners, Papanook, 
and Alan McIntosh combine their culinary skills with traditional Japanese cuisine to create an authentic, amazing flavor in every dish. Located at 1 West Union Street on Ashland, Massachusetts, their phone number is 508-309-3416. Or they can be located on Facebook at Dorgan Ramen Ashland and on their website as well, www.dorganramen.com. Aujourd'hui, je parle de la guerre du monde. Today, I'm talking about The War of the Worlds, the French edition, starring Gabriel Byrne, Elizabeth McGovern, Daisy Edgar-Jones, Leah Drucker, and Adol Ben-Sharif, to name a few. If you like a sci-fi show that's a slow-burn mystery, with no regard to the H.G. Wells' original source material, and with a twist that is a bit of a letdown, but still might work out in the end, then this show might be for you. There's promise there. Really, there is. Season 3 is due to be released in 2022. Here's the trailer. What is it? There's no naturally occurring new phenomena that can produce a signal like this. I believe we have detected evidence of extraterrestrial life. Either need to get somewhere completely encased in metal or deep underground. Helen, open up! What are you doing here? You gotta come with me right now. How would you know, man? There's no phone, no internet. You have somewhere to go? I have to find my family. We're looking for our son. Some people made it out. We'll find them, Ella. Help me, please. When I think back to that day, small details stick in my mind. I said, the look on people's faces. Do you really believe your family is alive? I have to. They wanted to wipe us from the face of the earth. Maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. Are we really so different? Dead TV podcast does cancel shows, but I can do what I want with these focus areas. So today I'm going to answer a simple question. Is it worth watching? To which I say, maybe? Allow me to explain. Actually, too long to explain. Let me sum up. And I don't think I can do this without giving out any spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead. It starts out HG Wells enough with a signal being received from a distant part of the galaxy. Then ships come in, or what they believe to be ships, and then everyone dies. And that all takes place in the first episode. I don't know why Dr. Chris was all poo-poo about this show. The first episode was really engaging. I was really interested into what was going on. 
Then the show deviates from H.G. Wells' source material and goes off in a completely different direction. There's a reason why nearly everyone died, and it has to do with genetics. There's two seasons, and the first season was the best because there was this big mystery about the aliens. We find out who the aliens are at the end of season one, and as I said, it's a bit of a letdown. They aren't actually aliens. They're humans coming back to Earth. So yes, we don't get the Mothrin or the Mortax or any other alien species because they're all humans. They're just humans that over time, their genetics have grown so weak that they now have to find a desperate move to save their species by traveling back in time and finding some non-corrupted DNA. I have to admit I was very disappointed by that twist, but I did continue watching all of season two. The story involves a time loop where the human species that went to the stars are looking for their Adam and Eve in order to start their portion of the timeline. At the end of season two, the time loop is technically closed, but there was hints that the changes caused something different, and that's what we're going to get into in season three. Will I watch season three? Probably, because I'm very curious as to how they're going to play this out. But I can see how people wouldn't stick with the show simply because there are no aliens. The acting is superb. Gabriel Byrne, which you might recognize him from movies like Excalibur, Gothic, Cool World, Point of No Return, Little Women, The Usual Suspects, Enemy of the State, Assault on Precinct 13, or Stigmata. He plays a lot of cops, authority figures, priests, or scientists. Everyone else on the cast is really excellent. Since this is a European show by Fox Networks and Studio Canal, it has a much slower pace. It's not fast-paced like American shows. The show has a tone, a suspense to it that's very quiet and subdued. It has a feeling like, you know, when you're out in nature and you're just sitting there listening to the birds and then you feel that someone's watching you? It has that feeling. I'd be watching the show from my living room and then realize that I've been so engaged in the show that I've totally lost track of everything else. If this sounds interesting to you, Give it three episodes to see if you like it. And if you stay past the season one finale, I congratulate you. We'll be watching season three together. Bonsoir. One more thing. I want to give a quick shout out to David Irons, friend of the show and fellow War of the Worlds fan. He is the author of many books such as Moon Knight Lip, an 80s chick flick novel, Graveyard Billy, Wolf Moon, A Werewolf in Space, The Blood Boat, The Cruise Ship from Hell, and Polybius, The 80s Arcade Killer Thriller. I just ordered my copy of Polybius from Amazon. Get yours today. Thanks for being a fan of the show. Good night. And we're back in the next exciting episode, Path of Lies on the Dead TV Podcast. Path of Lies, Season 2, Episode 14, originally aired February 19th, 1990. The Mothrin manipulate a corporate magnate by seemingly restoring his health into selling them a top city newspaper he controls to give the aliens a tool for propaganda. So we find out the newspaper industry still exists during this apocalypse, which is very funny. They look very ragged, you know what I mean? But they, well, uh... Yeah, they're the only newspaper in town. The only remaining one in town. And what town are, is our ragtag group of sewer rats you know, living the... in? They never state, but the newspaper's name is called Midtown. So, city anywhere. Midtown what? Midtown Herald, right? Midtown Herald. 
I mean, there hasn't been no indication, like, exactly where they are. No, no real indication. And they have to be close enough to a water center and some cities. And it has to be big enough that they could be cordoned off into districts or quadrants. I do love that the actress who plays B.B. Gardner is played by an actress named Barbara Gordon. <laughs> I saw that in the credits. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Batgirl. <laughs> uh, That's true. And the last thing that she's been in, which is out in 2021, is called The Perfect Wedding TV Movie. I don't know what that Have was. You? I didn't see that. Did you? Unless it's no, I did not see that. Some of the other things on her IMDb is uh, Little Mosque on the Prairie. Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. The actor who plays Mark, David Ferry, he has been in tons and tons of things, still working today. He was Detective Dolly in the Boondock Saints Part 1 and 2. Oh, nice. Uh, he's in Man of the Year with Robin Williams, Senator Mills. Cool. He's also on the TV show Legion as Dr. Kissinger. Didn't watch Legion. A little too weird for me. I know it's all X-Men related, but I just could not get into it after two episodes. Yeah, his uh, IMDb credits are very long. Has been on Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. We see a lot of that in this show. And he was also on Friday the 13th, the series, in two episodes, Repetition and Shadow Boxer. Good time. actor. I think he did very well in this episode, too. The, this entire plot line of the newspaper, I love a good newspaper plot line in a movie or a TV show. One of the reasons why I probably always gravitated, like, you know, Superman sometimes, because old episodes of the George Reeves show or Lois and Clark. And even Superman and Lois. Yeah, I, I do love a good newspaper plot line when it comes to movies. One of my favorite films of all time involving investigative reporters is All the President's Men. Have you seen that? Hmm, I'm not sure. Really? It's uh, Woodward and Bernstein. It's uh, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Sounds like something I might watch, but I don't remember it. Oh, it's so good. It's about the, the story of how Woodward and Bernstein discovered the, the secret of Watergate. Oh. Yeah, and Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman play Woodward and Bernstein. Okay, then... Like, really young, like, really young Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. We're talking, like, mid-70s, right after... I think this movie came out a year or two after it happened. Wow, okay. Yeah, real good movie. You've never seen this movie? Highest recommendation. Cool. In this episode, the newspaper is, of course, the last remaining newspaper in the city. <laughs> well, but the country. <laughs> it, it seems like the control of it has passed from person to person until a person named Mr. Samuels, who is the one dying, actually has control of it. And, and he has some sort of senatorial ties and friends in high places that is allowing him to have this newspaper and control what's on it. So he has squashed stories throughout the, you know, the recent months, but this story is just so hot that the aliens are on the track of anyone who has any evidence that they are alive. Apparently, these photographs, which, I mean, to me, they just look like photographs from a set of a horror movie. They don't really have the context of like, hey, these are actual bodies melting in front of me. So I, I think if you were to publish these photos, a lot of people would just go... Ah, that just that looks fake, you know? I think a lot of people in this world wouldn't actually believe that aliens were invading. Yeah, all it looks like is gooey skeletons or something like that. I mean, yeah. it's 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 kind of crappy photography in my opinion. Who plays the old 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 man who reminds me of the old man from OCP? Are you talking Mr. Samuel or Jennings, his assistant? 
The one in the the one that was sick, or the one that was actually doing all of the, his bidding. Uh, the one that was constantly meeting with Dennis Forrest's character Malzor. Okay, I think that's Jennings, and that's played by Bernard Behrens. Okay, and he is a very well-known actor. Yeah, and you you recognize his face immediately, but from where you might need to pull it up, he was in The Man with Two Brains, a Steve Martin movie. Yeah, very famous movie. Guy falls in love with the brain of a woman, and then puts yeah, I love it. Body. Love it. Yeah, I think the big shock of that movie at the end was like when, after he kills his wife and puts the brain into his wife's body, or doesn't kill her, but she's like she died. I forgot how she died. It's been forever since I've seen the movie. When they're out in the rowboat, she like gets real fat. I didn't quite understand that part. Or am I misremembering it? Oh, what happens is his wife is attractive. When the brain is inserted into her body, because the brain has the habit which she was in real life, which is she eats a lot. So when she takes over this body and when Steve Martin wakes up, she's worried that he will not think of her as the same simply because she's gained weight. Right, okay. Uh, and he does, Steve Martin doesn't notice it at all because he loves her brain, not really the outside shell. Gotcha. And he's been in stuff we've seen before too, by the way. I forgot. He was just in a, he was just in this show. He was in Vengeance's Mind. He plays a psychiatrist and he's on three episodes of the Friday the 13th series, including one where he plays General Robert E. Lee. That guy's not controversial today. Yeah, that was in the episode Eye of Death. I don't know how it is in Pennsylvania, and we don't exactly really have a lot of, let's say, statues to a guy we defeated in the Civil War. Has there been a lot of, like, take down the Robert E. Lee stuff in uh, Pennsylvania? There there has been, but I think in Philadelphia specifically, it's more been about taking down the Christopher Columbus statue. Ah. Do you know something I don't think we talked about last time we talked about this actor? He was the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original radio dramas for Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and he's reprised that role several times. As Obi-Wan? Yes, as Obi-Wan. Hmm. And, of course, Obi-Wan's got a TV series coming up. But, unfortunately, he passed away in 2012 at the age of 85 years old. He's also in yeah. uh, The Changeling, which is a very, like, creepy film if you've never seen it. In Galaxy of Ter- Terror, he plays Commander Izar. That movie is <laughs> one of Roger Corman's best or worst, depending on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, he's just been in a lot, like uh, Dragnet and The Smurfs as a voice, Chips and St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, like a lot of those really classic uh, TV shows. Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, Dracula the series, a lot, a lot of things on his credit. You'd recognize his face if you saw him. The the way Mark is like, I have the proof of aliens, kind of reminds me of Kolchak the Night Stalker. Okay. In a way. Did you see the top of the headline to the newspaper he grabs before he gets shot at? I didn't notice that. Taxes increased by 14%. Oh, so there's still a government somewhere. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they don't seem to still care about our... enough to take your money. You know, that's that's yeah, yeah. They, they don't seem to be uh, caring about our intrepid uh, group of heroes. That's for sure. No, no. It seems as we move through the plot, where the aliens are trying to kill the re- the reporter, the photojournalist, uh, Mark Trainer, and the Blackwood team comes in and saves him several times. But the aliens are systematically killing anyone that has seen those pictures or those negatives. So his girlfriend Maureen is killed. Other people at the newspaper were killed. BB herself gets killed. And it's all the, always this mysterious person doing these things. We never actually see this person 
you know, who is doing this. And in the very beginning of the episode, it's, they seem to have a couple of clones that are dressed all in black that they're sending out for these missions, but we don't really get a close look at them or anything. Um, they want to keep the mystery in this episode. What is the name of Mark's wife who gets killed? Maureen. Maureen. Okay, so that's that's Nadia Nadia Capone. She was on the Hitchhiker. A show called Side Effects, The Outer Limits. She was also on that. The remake. Yeah. Earth, The Final Conflict. Yeah, that was a '90s syndicated TV series. Viper. That was a uh, a show that I've been asked if we would ever do, and I'm like, I don't know. Uh, it's a crime show. We tend not to do crime shows unless it's like some type of gimmick to it. Yeah, because we're horror, science fiction, and fantasy. Right. I understand there's some like scientific elements to Viper that would be considered sci-fi, but no, it's not enough for me to... It's not like The Outer Limits. No, it also ran for 78 episodes, and I said we will never do a 78-episode show again. Uh, it's They just take too much time to do. Yeah, true. We took the chance of Friday the 13th because we both loved the show, but... I think the Adams family was also reaching our upper limit on that as well. Right. And it is in the near future too. Viper did take place in the near future, but it, it ran for like four or five seasons. So I don't know if that got canceled or it just had an ending. That seems like it had an ending. Someone asked about, um, what's the show Christopher Walken did the movie of, and then, um, Anthony Michael Hall did the TV series, the dead zone TV series apparently ended on a cliffhanger. They never resolved it. People have constantly been asking you of USA, including Anthony Michael Hall, you know, let's go back and finish it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no. How many episodes did it run for? Oh, that ran for almost 100 episodes. No. <laughs> Another show that got canceled, but we'll never cover. It's just, it's just too long. So at the very end, Mr. Jennings, which is uh, Mr. Samuel's right-hand man, he's been working for him for 43 years. And apparently Mr. Samuel was, was such a greedy bastard that it made Jennings disgruntled enough to shoot him mm. and then make and negotiate a new deal with the aliens. Oh, not good. Yeah, not good at all. Hey, at least it, when the aliens kill somebody, they clean it up in a jiffy. It's like Buffy stabbing people. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the vaporizer, the portable vaporizer just vaporizes the body. And it's like, whoa. Oh, by the way, someone cor- had a correction for us about Reaper coming up. They said, you don't have to be on Reaper that long. Reaper only ran for 31 episodes, not 48. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we will be done with Reaper in 60 weeks. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's if we do one episode a week. We'll be done with Reaper like by halfway through next year. We well, do two episodes. I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen the show. Oh, my God. It's so fun. And the first episode is directed by Kevin Smith. Cool. Yep. A good show, a lot of fun, very CW at times, but still a lot of fun and dark where it needed to be. I actually asked Ray Wise the last time I met him if he would please come on our show because we're going to do Reaper one day. And he's mm-hmm. just like, maybe, yeah, contact my people. <laughs> so I don't know if he'll remember that conversation, but I would love to have Ray Wise, who plays the devil, on our show. That would be cool. We'll, we'll have to wait. Yeah. The very end of the episode... Mark Trainer is hitchhiking for some reason, and it reminded me of The Incredible Hulk. You know, the sad music, hitchhiking down the road. Yeah, totally. Exactly, exactly. Reminded me of that, and, and really there's no conclusion here because the aliens still get their deal. They still have the influence over the paper. Jennings is basically taking over anything that Mr. Samuel has had in his control, and the aliens are still after Mark, going to kill him for his pictures and his knowledge. So 
there wasn't really any conclusion. Aliens still win. Uh, and I guess Mark is just going to ride the rails and hitchhike his way across the country and try to outrun the aliens. Cue sad music and credit. Yeah, we never see him again. <laughs> no, we don't. That is all the notes I have here for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast. Yeah, that's all I have. If you would like to find us on Facebook, you can, the Dead TV Podcast. If you would like to find us on Twitter, find us at ChristySAV or at Elegantly Kinky. You can also find us through email, thatradiopower at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, or corrections about the Dead TV Podcast. And we're on several of the War of the Worlds TV series uh, groups as well. And we'll be back in two weeks for another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast coverage of War of the Worlds, the series. Good night.